0: and Scholars. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. Welcome back to another week of sluts and scholars, where we talk smart and fuck smarter. My name is Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I'm really excited to welcome Afro Sexology LLC, that was birthed by from the desire to experience a more sex positive Black community. Owners Delisha and Rafaela are two Black women pleasure advocates, sex educators, social workers, activists and creators who are passionate about empowering people to live their most pleasurable lives. They've been interviewed and featured in HuffPost, Vibe, Teen Vogue, Glamour, Playboy magazine to share expertise and to share the passion behind this movement. Afrosexology has traveled nationwide and internationally, successfully engaging with tens of thousands of people through community workshops, conferences, webinars and social media. Afrosexology aims to educate, explore, and reclaim black sexuality and promote black self-empowerment through sexual liberation. And I am super honored to have them on Slutton Scholars today. Welcome. Thank you for having us. I first saw Delisha present at the ASECT conference. Um, how, did you, how did you feel about your presentation? I loved it. I thought some of the questions were like, mm, but, <laughs> but the presentation was great. Yeah, thank
1: you for that. I had a great time. I, um, I find that when I am sharing just about like stories and experiences that I'm having and what I'm thinking about going through, there's not really a way to do that wrong. No one's going to tell me that my experience and my interpretation, of my experience is wrong. So I had a pretty good time.
0: Well, I had a good time watching. I think there was one person who had like, I don't know how you felt about this question, but like somebody I remember asked, they were like, can you twerk for us? And I was like, I'm not a fan of this question, but I also was not being asked the question. But I was curious what your, this was so long ago, but like, what, how did, what did you think about that? It was like this older white woman and she was like, twerk for us. And it felt very like racist and performative, but maybe you, I don't know. How did you feel about it? I
1: did not enjoy the question, but I will say that several people have had conversations with that white woman, which I appreciate like other white people checking other white people. And she did like, email and apologize and all of that stuff um, I think my response at the time was like I think I told her that like she should twerk and then we'll watch her or something like that. <laughs> and everyone laughed and it was like good humor whatever but it was a microaggressive uh question to be the first question that was asked after my talk
0: which happens a lot and I would I would be curious before we dive into all the questions about afrosexology have you had any struggles I guess I'm just naming like that I'm a white person like interviewing and I'm curious if you've had negative experiences in in being interviewed by white people that's a really good question (laughs) maybe Delisha (laughs) we'll start with you
1: that's a good question I just think it's different I think and this is a similar thing that we have in our workshops because our workshops often majority of the times are predominantly people of color and so there's a level at which we can have a conversation where we don't have to stop and pause and explain microaggression or colorism or colonialism or like, like how twerking can be radical, that we don't have to explain that because it's a common experience that a lot of us have, that when, we are, when white people are in the space, which we make it a agreement that they're not, we're not going at their pace. So we're not stopping to answer those questions. And I think sometimes when we're being interviewed that there, it's just, the conversation is just different. There's a level of like not, not having the experience of some of that leads to the understanding of some of the work that we're doing and the way that we're doing the work. So I have found that it's very different that sometimes the, like the conversations are not as they're very heady. I feel like it's very like analytical thinking questions, but there's not like body and feeling in it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that for me has been the experience. It's just, it's a very much more intellectual conversation which is fine I mean we are all scholars and we like to have that but it it does have a different feel especially when we're talking about sex to not be like in your your body. body in your yeah in your emotions it's very much like a um these are the 10 questions we're going through these are the 10 questions that I'm asking after you respond I ask the next question versus like a conversation and like us exploring what this topic means to us all right,
0: well, pressure's on to try to do that today.
1: <laughs> you asked.
0: No, I love it. I love it. I mean, I always, I'm a therapist too. So I'm always like, how do you feel about that? What about you, Raffaella?
2: Um, I definitely agree with um, what Delisha said. And I think the thing that we don't give a lot of attention to are the, you know, the comment sections, right? So everyone's always told to don't look at the comments um, because we've had some um, features or posts or whatever, where other people have kind of questioned the validity of our work or why we're specifying that this work is important for Black people, um, or that you know we are just you know trying to be sexual people and putting putting it around a frame of liberation when really we just want to have sex or something like that, and so they don't really understand the concept of the work. And so I think most of the time it just kind of goes back to that, like, well, this is not for you, clearly, because you're making these comments or asking these rhetorical questions.
0: I mean, not to reiterate probably this question then that you get asked all the time, but just to place it into context, what made you feel in your body <laughs> that, <laughs> pleasure, that pleasure was crucial for you know, black self-empowerment?
1: Yeah, so, so Raphael and I met in grad school. We were both like um, separate tracks. So we didn't have any classes together, but just very much shared a common interest in talking about sexuality and blackness as Black people. And so for, for me in particular, a, a major part of this work was like growing up and just knowing a lot of the messages and the negative and harmful messages that I've received, like as a Black person in, this, in, in America specifically around what it means to be Black. And so just all the messages about like not being beautiful, being hypersexual or sexual deviant, not being smart enough, not all of these different things to where I think it very much normalizes um an existence of of like fear and negativity and so like i know for me it was like i very much wanted to like disconnect from a body that i was being told was wrong because it was black because it was a woman because it was a child of immigrants like all these messages like so i didn't know how to be present in my body and then so many of the conversations around sex that were happening were especially in our community is around Um, how to prevent unplanned pregnancy, how to avoid STIs, how to avoid sexual assault. But there was never a conversation about like pleasure and what feels good. And I think that was similar to so many other conversations I was having around what does it mean to be Black? So like even like the fear that... Um, We're taught and that we have to how we have to navigate police officers in this country and No one's like giving us like everything's like around survival But there's nothing that's around like well, what does it look like when we're not dealing actively dealing with like white supremacy and racism? Like what is a possibility of of how life could feel like how I could feel Proud to be black and I could feel black is beautiful. And so for us this um, this work around starting to understand it, to start moving towards what it means to feel good in our bodies, despite what we've been told it means to be in this body, as a practice for what does it mean to, like, have pleasurable, healthy um, relationships with ourselves, with our community, with other people, in our culture, and also with our government and, like, the institutions that we're a part of. And I think in this country, it's very normalized for people who are marginalized to have very, like, abusive and unhealthy um, relationships with institutions in this country. And so just wanting to shift that in like a way that feels uh, tangible for us, which felt like sex and the body. And so connecting economic agency, social agency, political agency, but really starting with body agency.
0: And one more question for you, Delisha. I feel like a lot of people sort of make this separation between surviving and thriving or like surviving and pleasure do you feel like pleasure can also be a part of survival?
1: That's it. yeah, good question. Um, I, I, I feel like it's a part of our existence and I would, I would like for us to move past purely surviving and I would like for us to experience more around pleasure and like, like so i say oftentimes that i don't want a life where we're just avoiding pain i want to experience pleasure and i think so much we're set up for just avoiding pain or trying to minimize the pain that is like experiencing experience in this world and so when i think about survival i think it is very essential and necessary and i, and I would say that early on prior to afro-sexology it was really hard for me to think about having these conversations with black communities because so much of our communal existence is around surviving. So it's like when people are like trying to navigate the, the, um, a racist justice system and trying to navigate all of like the health outcomes and trying to pay bills and do they really want to talk about sex? Do they really want to talk about fucking, you know? And so really not, it's feeling like it wasn't a part of survival, but then getting to a place thankful to Audre Lorde and her essay, Uses of the Erotic, that like really got me to a place of seeing how like just navigating in survival is not sustainable and it's not what the goal that we should be moving towards. And so trying to like move that finish line further to saying what is past survival? What is, what feels good? What feels, uh, liberatory for us and how do we move closer to that than to just like settling for the minimal that we've been taught? That's what we deserve.
0: And maybe a question for Rafaela, if you're feeling that same vibe, I think, I love the quote from Audre Lorde, and I don't, I don't want to misquote, but basically I think she was sort of one of the originators to really talk about how, like, self-care and self-love could be like an act of political warfare of sorts. And so I'd be curious, Raffaella, what your perspective is on the pleasure being political and what that's looked like in your work with Afrosexology.
2: Yes, thank you. Um, so, one, I think it's important to recognize that you know, living in an oppressive society means that we will grow up with an unjust, but like unjust boundaries placed onto us. And because of that, we will have difficulty negotiating these boundaries or even enforcing our own. In fact, it will likely be a problem if we try to negotiate these type of boundaries placed on us from these oppressive systems, especially if we do not hold a position of power. So. Over time, that looks like hesitating to speak up for ourselves, second guessing meaning behind harmful actions, ignoring signs of being uncomfortable or hurt altogether um, or being told like, no, that is not happening. That's not what they meant. Or you just need to kind of suck it up and get over it because that's the way that it is. So I think a lot of this time echo a lot of this. topic around using pleasure um, to address political issues is saying like this is the time to get in tune with our mind, our body, and our power through identifying and asserting boundaries and intentionally doing the work to unpack the negative um, messages, false messages that lead us to self-doubt, to low self-esteem, to poor self-care. And pleasure practices, I think, are things that can be incorporated into our everyday life and routines to increase the amount of pleasure that we experience and also to reclaim that power to say these are the things i know not only i deserve but i want and i need and so these are the people i'm going to surround my with myself with these are the activities i'm going to engage in these are the systems i'm going to avoid and maybe i can go over here and build something totally new instead of trying to break down this thing that was literally built to hold us down so like not expending our energy um, in ways where we're just kind of going up a wall that was that's not going to come down. So I think a lot of it is about knowing our bodies, um, what feels good, what sounds good, what smells good, what tastes good, what <laughs> um, using the five senses to really get in tune with us so that we know what good feels like and not, in, not just what we're told it is. And then, then we can seek that out more and demand that from other people too, in a consensual way, but also like in a very liberatory way.
0: Yeah. And... That made me think going back to something that you said, Delisha, about, you know, maybe coming into college that you had a lot of these narratives that sort of made you want to like dissociate out of this, out of this body. And I'd be curious, like how have your maybe capacities for pleasure or your enjoyment during, during sex or just pleasure in general changed as you've been doing this work? Oh my God. Yeah, no, it's been... Amazing. And I think
1: something that we were very intentional about when creating our psychology was to not um, create something where it felt like we were the experts and we were the, the, the bearers of knowledge and the teachers always. And so we very much wanted a space that could hold us as we grow and so um, intentional about creating the space that we wish we had 10 years ago and the space that we want to have 10 years from now. And so Having like even in our workshops, we all sit in a circle to try to to um, balance the power dynamic, and it's very interactive, and it's very much around people exploring and sharing and um, holding space for each other, and to affirm and validate each other, and that has meant that we're also getting that as well. And so, just uh, I mean, getting validation on, on so many ways. Like one of the things that was like the biggest. Um, thing for me that I didn't even know I needed to experience was that I come from a pretty religious family and so my work Mm. is not something that's celebrated and we were doing a workshop once and there was like an elder in the workshop who's like known in like the black and kinky world and she was just like so affirming of the work we're doing and the space we're creating and the conversations we're having and it was like this like motherly type of like affirmation that I'm never going to receive from Mm. my mom and so like, like things like that that have been like, I, I thought I was just going to get more insight about sex that I've gotten changed in that way, or just, like, the community that I have to support um, each other, or to support me, and, and that we support each other. And then, particularly sexually, I have felt so much more encouraged to have these conversations. I remember the first year me and Rafaela was doing this, it was like, are <laughs> black people even going to talk to us about this? Mm-hmm. Like, are they going to think we're weird? <laughs> and, and, like... <laughs> The amount of people who just want to have these conversations and talk about these things has helped me to see that, like, um, that we're all just experiencing so much or we're experiencing it alone, which is how shame works. And so it has helped me to release so much shame. Has helped me to feel so normal about the things that I'm curious about. It's helped me to feel so much more informed and expansive and to feel so much more... Um, open like I love in our community we say like don't yuck someone's yum and like that has become like a life principle of like I don't have (laughs) to um understand this to respect it and to be okay with you participating in it and so just like learning to all these different ways of of just learning to be more open and more expansive in my sexuality and my body and life in general and so it's been it is. it has been such a transformative journey and I'm really, really grateful and very feel very selfish that we have created something that has given us so much. Um, but I, I don't think I would have wanted it any other way.
0: What about you, Rafaela?
2: Yes, um, definitely want to echo all of those things. I think the thing that's felt the most empowering is like that... <laughs> that feeling that you get when you know or when you're around people who have that look like they just woke up to something but that it's very familiar like you know it's like oh wait I've been having this feeling or this yearning or I've been having these questions and I just didn't know that I could ask it I didn't know that you know there are people that wouldn't look at me with shameful eyes if I sought it out or like, oh, I'm not the only person with this experience or with this question. It's completely valid to um, find my, my people, my community. So it's been great to continue to meet people, even like all these years later, people doing like amazing things in the field of sex and sexuality and healing and trauma work and just know that these roles exist because it's not shown to us, you know, it's like so many things. Um, are continuing to grow and find its own place in different types of communities that feel really, really good, like a sense of, um, someone told me like, they feel like they're having a remembering experience. So even though it's new to them, it feels like coming home to myself. Mm-hmm. And um, feeling welcomed in it. And so, um, like Delicia said, we started having that conversation. Like, we're actually learning and growing ourselves and welcoming other people onto this journey with us. Um, and so we've been very um, grateful and excited that people want to join us and that they've been um, standing there with arms wide open. Even in situations where we did a workshop with Women identified older folks, and we're like, "Oh, they're going to be like, you don't know anything. <laughs> what can you tell me? What can you teach me? You're not married. You don't have all these other things that, you know." And when I tell you, it was such a welcoming space, full of people who are eager to not only be educated but to share their knowledge with us and to the rest of the group. It was like, why do we have these fears? But also, that is that oppressive system telling us to doubt ourselves and tell us that we n- not need to take up this space so that we don't help people on this liberation journey. Right. Because we know that if one of us is not free, then all of us are not free. And so if we're doing the work, the free people, there's always going to be a system that says, no, don't do that because we need you to be oppressed so that we can continue, um, this practice of, you know, using you for labor, <laughs> telling you that it's not good enough so you can work harder for low pay or whatever the case is. Like there's all these things that want us to second get us ourselves for their benefit. So, yeah. community has definitely helped us challenge that and I think it's really important to always emphasize how um, sexual justice work is justice work Mm -hmm. and that there's so many different avenues of learning about your sexual self your body your your body your boundaries your yes your no um, speaking up for yourself in that way that will transfer into other aspects of your life and so that's another reason why people try to sneakily say like oh don't talk about this thing because it's shameful or it's a sin, or whatever the case is, but really it's, it's really connected to the body which liberates us all.
1: Something that, yes, oh, first, yes, I'll say.
0: <laughs> I know, I was like tearing <laughs> up during some of the stuff you yes. said. Um, and then like one of the biggest transformations that I have
1: forgotten to mention, which just shows that there's so many transformations that I've experienced because of this work is that I quit my job. <laughs> there was a point, but I did that like, gosh, has it been like two years already? Three?
0: yeah it has to be longer than that yeah
1: yeah um
0: <laughs> wow because <laughs> what was it about this work that led you or helped you quit your job right
1: so when we started doing afro-sexology there was like I was when I was doing Afrosexology and working full-time I first had my full-time job I like really liked it I was like this is a different space it was an entrepreneur space it was really like open and Whatever, like it was, I enjoyed it. But then, as I started doing this work more and more, there was just such a different feeling. There was a feeling of like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I feel challenged. I feel creative. I like was waking up, which I am no longer doing. But I was like waking up at like four in the morning and like excited to do Afrosexology work and to like facilitate these conversations. Um, and I was really grateful that I had a job that was flexible and letting me go and do workshops. But then the more that I started engaging in work that brought me so much pleasure and joy and made me feel so alive and open. I was like, why don't I feel like this all day long? Why am I only feeling like allow myself to feel like this prior to work and after work. And once I realized that it became like harder and harder and harder and harder to go to work because it was like, this is work that is simple, but it's not challenging. This is work that is important, but it's not aligned with who I am. And so um, also the work around pleasure is around listening to your body, getting connected to your body, learning to trust your body and what it's saying to you and just like learning to trust myself and being like, I'm going to take a leap of faith and quit and figure this out because I, I, I want to know what it's like to not just limit pleasure to sexual experiences. And I don't want to just limit pleasure to this work I get to do with afro I want to feel this way. And I call it orgasmic. Like I want to feel orgasmic throughout all of my life. And so making very intentional moves to um, to move towards orgasmic relationships and like my friendships. And so not that I was like, not orgasmic sexually, but that it felt good. It made me feel open and creative and loved and supported and all of this stuff and alive. And so moving that way towards my friendship, towards my work relationships, towards um, the food that I ate, the books that I read, all of this stuff. And it just... I did that for about two years, and it was so,
0: it was just so transformative. I don't know. I, I can't keep using the word transformative, but I don't know what that <laughs> to But that's all of it, is. yeah. <laughs> there's, this po- there's this poem that I really love by this guy, Derek Walcott, and one of the lines in it says, you will love again the stranger who was yourself. And that, like, reminds me a lot of what you're saying of these, like, these body memories and, like, tr- and, and really trusting the body. And I want to hear more about this Orgasmic friendship and orgasmic relationships. Like, what do you mean by that? What does that feel like? Like, how do we expand this definition of pleasure and orgasm?
1: Yeah, so um through this work and through the great work of Raphael, I learned a lot about boundaries, right? And like had to do a lot of work there. And so I started like asking myself when I got done hanging out with friends or eating a meal or while I was eating the meal or like reading a book or doing activities, how did it make me feel? Um, And there were some friendships where I would leave and I would be like, I feel kind of drained. I felt like I had conversations that I didn't really want to have. Like if it was like gossiping around people, I felt like um, I didn't feel poured into like, and so trying to either set boundaries up in those relationships and shift those relationships to being things that felt good to me and like brought me good, positive feelings or ending some of those relationships and understanding that they had kind of run their course and that it was no longer... Um, it was no longer m- mutually healing or loving and beneficial at that point. And moving more towards the relationships and moving relationships more towards just making me and the other person feel energized and feel open and creative and supported and that we can be honest and that we didn't have to like hide parts of ourselves. And once... Because I was... I was already practicing listening to my body and moving towards things that make my body feel good when it came to my senses, like, what clothes feels good in my body? What scents do I want in my office? Um, what foods do I want to eat?" Like I, it, was very, it was easier for me to like, tap into those feelings I was having in my interactions. And so there were so many things, like, for example, if people would ask me, "Oh, you should can you be on this panel?" Because blah, 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 blah. And I would have this gut reaction of like, I don't want to do that. But what would come out was like, sure. It will look good on my resume or whatever. I'll do it. It's, It's important. And so just really learning to, to listen to my body and be like, actually, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be in this experience. I don't want to be in this friendship. Um, and that's okay. And I don't need a reason. um, like I don't need like this like huge off I don't need to lie and be like, oh sorry, I can't make your panel because I'm I'm dealing with so da, 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 da which was such mm-hmm. a common habit of me to mm-hmm. just be like make up an excuse. I can just be like, No, actually this is a, I'm gonna pass. And so just learning to do that in all of my relationships was just really part of the practice. It was what it was.
0: I love that. I think Rafaela, something you were talking about earlier is like connection connection with self. I mean, you've both talked about that. And I think something that's really coming to mind for me now in this like over talked about time of corona, which we know we're all fucking in, um is is solo sexuality and like being sexual with oneself. And I would be really curious. You, you seem to teach some really great workshops about solo sexuality and masturbation. Um, I would love to hear more about those workshops and how you think people can practice this if they're either by choice or not, like solo partnered for this isolating time. So that's to me or
2: yeah. anybody. Yeah. Okay. Um, Yes. So we love talking about solo sex and masturbation um, because one, it's amazing in terms of um, the benefits. Right. And so we talk a lot about not just the science behind it and the biology and why you can why some people may be able to benefit from it, but really stemming to the connectedness um the understanding of oneself but also being able to kind of use that as a tool for interacting with other folks so the same thing with boundaries like how can I know these things for myself so I can have happier more pleasurable experiences with other people because for the most part Mm -hmm. um we will have that with you know not right now. right now, we're a little limited, <laughs> considering everything going on. But when things get back to a different type of normal, um, we will have we will have that. And so, really taking a step back to understand um, why it is so powerful to know that. And Delisha has this thing that she likes to say, and I love it. So I'm going to say it, Delisha. You can <laughs> say it later. But it's like you have all this power. At the end of your fingers, like in your fingertips, you're able to give yourself this pleasure, this release. Um, and then if you choose to engage with other people, you can show them, right? You can tell them this is what I like. And so the same thing as Delicia was talking about, like living her orgasmic life, her orgasmic truth for those two years and really exploring herself and exerting her boundaries for other people, you know, that gave her the life that she has now where she's looks, she's able to look up and say, Oh, I don't have to do anything. I don't want to do. I'm going to my office and it's a pleasurable experience. I am engaging with people that make me feel good that allow my values and my morals. And I think kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, it's like, that is the root of the work. And that is why it can be such a challenge to, um, for people to accept because sometimes it's really hard to see someone else really blissfully happy happy and empowered because we have to kind of challenge ourselves and say well why can't I have that or why am I not doing what I need to do to to claim that or reclaim that for myself. And so a lot of times when people are just kind of doing whatever the hell they want to do especially when it comes to identity and sexuality and things like that people are intimidated by that freeness by that co- level of comfort with thyself and they don't know what to do with it because all of our lives we've been told that you cannot do that you will get in trouble and that is a problem so when other people do it it's kind of like well damn wait so I could have been living my life like that no I- I'm mad about it so you can't do it if I can't do it but the trick is like you can and I'm here to help you I don't want let's figure it out and let's bring each other um onto the same, um, same side I don't know what I was gonna say but anyway let's bring each other up so that we can live this life that is really empowering and so when we talk about um masturbation I think that was like one of the first hurdles because when we had our very first masturbation workshop Delisha and I were like um listen we're going to talk about all the tips and the tricks and the techniques and the positions and the different types of toys and all this other stuff and then we get on Facebook for our um, event page and there's questions like, um, uh, not questions, there's comments like, oh, I I, I wanna come, but I don't wanna say I'm coming because then my friend list will know that I'm going to this thing. and this there was a lot of comments, like backed by shame, and also curiosity. And so we were like, "Oh wait, we have to do baby steps. We can't just go in there with a literal bag full of tricks. <laughs> we need to talk about the body and anatomy, and and talk about shame and myths and um, how these things come up in our families, and what do we learn about these messages, and how do we challenge it and unpack it first, and then after that, we can talk to people about ways of." Um, using other things to explore their body and then lastly we started to talk to people about like masturbation magic and empowerment with the with yourself and with your partners by doing like a masturbation show and mutual masturbation but absolutely first we had to talk about what is keeping some of us from even coming through the door for these type of events and so how can we um support people through all stages of the journey because as we know like when we're talking about sexual liberation and sexual empowerment sometimes they can be really one-sided in terms of like how freaky can you be you know how many sex partners do you have and that's still fine and you know are you going to go to like sex parties and do all this other stuff but you know there are people who identify as asexual as demisexual are these different types of sexualities where their ideal sex life is not about you know, voyeurism or anything like, like anything kinky so that we are not um, working out of our own internalized oppression. We are not keeping other people close from these conversations because it's not as inclusive as
0: it could be. So what myths and narratives have you seen be some of the most like common sources of shame with the communities that you've worked with? Rafaela.
2: So first I think some of the big ones are, about um like just incorrect information regarding like biology like oh you know if you do this you if you masturbate too much you will go blind or you know you'll no, no longer be able to feel sensation in that part of your body um i remember one i think delicia told me about this about like growing hair in your knuckles or something like that which you know so i think some of those things but a lot of the other stuff i think more about maybe the way couples interact or wh- the way people interact with themselves. So it's like masturbation is for single people, right? It is a thing to be shameful about because that means that maybe you're not a desirable partner you don't have other options. So you have to have sex with yourself um, as opposed to it being a tool for just like we've been saying anything and everything. Um, so a lot of messages about like worth and like how desirable people are if you're engaging in solo sex,
0: well, I think that things you're describing go across like gender and racial boundaries. And I'd be curious if there were additional ones that you've seen as um, at the intersection specifically for black women.
1: There are so many myths around like black people, the black women being hypersexualized. And so... Like there's been, uh, we know that during enslavement there was this idea that like a black woman was unrapeable because they're always wanting it, and so, and there, and that has carried out in so many ways. This idea of like the black man being the super predator and that he's coming to rape your white daughter. It's like these myths of carrying on, and so in reaction to that, there has been like a, um, a double down on respectability politics on this idea that we're not like we're not the hypersexual animalistic being that white people say we are in fact we are very pure we're we're very um I think I don't want to go against religion but I think there's a lot religion plays a lot into it that there's a very much like oh we don't do that that's what those people do but not us
0: but that's sort of been going to the other side of like kind of correcting this narrative but then maybe you can't express your sexuality if you are sexual
1: right so I think and I think what we're dealing with a lot is like the role of like of religion and spirituality and how that's created a lot of shame for people exploring their body, especially when it comes to women and masturbation. And, and then also like this cultural narrative myth, which we get like questions all the time around, like, I want to be a sexual being, but I feel like I'm perpetuating these negative stereotypes around my community. And so like, how do you navigate the white gaze in like the way that you express yourself and how that keeps you from participating or exploring certain acts that you feel like are 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 not okay because it's contributing to this larger narrative of like the black people of black people being hypersexual so i think it's like having to untangle that but so many of the messages are still the same around like masturbation is for people who are desperate masturbation is um not something you do with when you have a partner, masturbation is not something, it's something that you do in private. It's something that you do very quickly. You do very rushed. And so us trying to like expand, like slow down and ex- experience solo sex, like set the mood for yourself, set the scene for yourself, like play with it um, is a very different framework for people who are used to just like rushing and doing that really quickly um, because it's something that you feel a lot of shame around. So I would say like the the context is different, but I would say that the, a lot of the shame and the myths are very similar because it, it runs across our culture.
0: And Delisha, earlier you were talking about when you first started this, having to do a lot of maybe learning or navigating around consent and boundaries. Where do you think like systemic racism plays a part in in learning consent and boundaries? Because I'm just imagining some difficulty in what you're talking about around this culture and this history of like, white people thinking like your body belongs to us and how that's maybe impacted your relationship with consent and boundaries.
1: Yeah. So I think we're doing, um, the conversation we're having around consent these days is really exciting, but it's also like very limiting because we're talking about sex and we're talking about it from a very legal perspective, um, without uh, like taking a step back and and recognizing that America is not a consent based, culture, like Native Americans did not consent to being colonized. Mm-hmm. Africans did not consent to being enslaved. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many groups of people, people of lower socioeconomic status, people who identify as women, as trans, as queer, who have had to um, be subjugated in the, in this country and in the systems we've built up. A lot of us did not consent to participating in capitalism. And I think now we're having some really interesting conversations about Uh, Capitalism and how, why we need universal healthcare and all of these things because of the situation that we're in now, but that people have been having for a really long time. And so I think when you have that as your foundation as a as a country, there's not many places where people are seeing consent and boundaries practiced in a healthy way. And so I think it's it's been modeled in like the way that our country is set up, the institution of our country, the stories that we tell about our country. But then it's also modeled in so many of our Interpersonal relationships. So, as a kid, not having consent practice with your parents, with your family, in our work environments. How many times do we have a boss put down something and say like, "Oh, I know it's Friday at four forty four fifty five, but can you can you do this work?" And like, so not respecting boundaries, not practicing consent, and so this has just been like a very it's a normalized way of operating in our country. And so now, and and for me, I'm like, this is why I talk about consent it's so important, and it's so hard because. We're not used to practicing consent in many relationships outside of sex. We're not used to having our boundaries honored in many relationships outside of sex. And now you want people to practice this skill in a relationship where they might like the person, but they don't know how to tell the person no without feeling like they're rejecting the person. Because if you tell your mom no at something, that's like the end of the world. Or you tell your white boss, no, that's that could lead to you being fired. And so all of these things, um, play out. And like for me as a black woman, the experiences that I've had with um, white people who are either at my level or in positions of power, it very much does not create the space. Like the things we talk about in consent is like, does somebody have the agency to say no to you? But there's so many of us who are in dynamics and uh, relationships where there's a power differential or identity differential where someone does not feel like they have the authority or the power to say no without feeling like they're gonna to have to deal with severe consequences. And so all of these dynamics and relationships, which I, I think women experience this with men, I, I think um, trans people experience this as they're trying to navigate space and like trying to create space for themselves and, and the interactions that they have that, that leaves a lot of people who are marginalized to feel like you have to just do what you have to do to survive, which is not, <laughs> um, is not the context that we get to practice consent and like healthy boundaries
0: question for rafaela um not that we have to convince people to self-pleasure or masturbate and all the stuff you're talking about how do we how do we help people understand how things like solo sexuality and exploring that and doing those kinds of workshops can help combat some of this oppression
2: so i think tying in um pleasure has been a really helpful tool for people understanding like their right to themselves their right to um, to, impo- to to feel power and to to say what is or is not okay or to be um, you know consensual to engage in consensual relationships and all these different facets of like being especially in our society as opposed to specifically always talking about masturbation, because again, not everybody, not everyone has a desire. Everyone's body is different. So the way they, that, that we experience pleasure is really um, specific. And so going back into tuning in to what feels good through your five senses or the senses that you have access to is really, really helpful in those situations. Um, so as we've kind of been hinting around and saying about What do you want? (laughs) What does pleasure look like for you? How do you even get there? What resources would you need? What support is there? What communities can you reach out to? And so um, as much as, you know, our work is about sexual liberation, and how you know we've emphasized our love for talking about masturbation as a tool for liberation and empowerment, we definitely realize that there's different avenues to that, and the key is to um, first being really clear on what your body is feeling and why, what's coming up for you and why, how to challenge things that don't feel good to you, or just to start to be more curious because not everything that we've um, been taught and told is wrong or needs to be um, change, but like to still have that, that aspect of us where we can still be inquisitive about why it is that we believe it. And then we can check off a box and say, okay, I do agree with that. I feel aligned. Or if we don't, then we can further educate and realign ourselves with something else. And so, um, yeah, I think that is the best way really to get into, um, into the root of the work because, It's so easy to just dismiss anything that we think and feel about ourselves, especially when it comes to things that feel good, right? So we are so quick to allow negative thoughts about ourselves, negative emotions, um, to take up space in our lives. And then when we are feeling good, it's just like, okay, well, something bad's going to happen. Like something, you know, that's the law. Like when something good happens, something bad happens. And so we're waiting for that thing. We're not sitting in the moment to really take in um, that pleasure. And so really emphasizing the people, the power and slowing down, even if it is just to like distract or just to for five minutes just be in this blissful state before you get back to this other thing that you might not have control of. So it is gonna be a process because as Delisha just you know pointed out, <laughs> the history of so many countries, um our 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 societies still operate in those systems where every single day when we go over the threshold of our door, um, we are just walking right back into an oppressive system. And the least that we can do mm-hmm. is try to make sure that ins- behind our door, in our home, that we're breaking down that um, oppression and, and internalized messages and uh, respectability politics, and you know all these other things that really don't make us feel good. And so, yeah, I think. Pleasure is anything and everything, what feels good, what sounds good, you know, going back to the senses um, and just really taking ownership of that process and knowing that there is a limit and that we can be more intentional with ourselves and with our relationships around us and our communities, especially.
1: Something that I um, would like, to, I don't, something I want to add and share is that, like, for me, um, I, I mean, I was definitely raised and socialized to think that like my sex was for like me having being sexual was for my presumed male partner. Um, mm-hmm. And that I was raised to think that like the person who was going to bring me pleasure was going to be that person.
0: And it was like up to them to give you pleasure. Right, right. And so masturbating
1: and like bringing myself to orgasm, especially having experiences with People and not orgasming and then being able to do that for myself was super powerful to be like, oh, I don't have to put up with mediocre people to experience sexual pleasure. I can do this for myself. I don't have to um, give my pleasure to somebody else or depend on somebody else for my pleasure. I can do this for myself was such a powerful uh, shift for me and my like mental space because then it just made me question like other things that I had been raised to think. I had to get from other people. So the idea that as a Black person, like, liberation is going to come from white people. Like I have to wait for white people to, to free us or to like, mm. give us liberation.
0: So claiming that orgasm for yourself is a way of saying, like, I'm responsible for this and my own liberation.
1: And also understanding the amount of power that you hold and like, that there's so many systems and messages that we've been given that lets us makes us feel and believe that we don't have that power that we don't have access to ourselves that we can't feel good things on our own that everything comes from external stuff which is a a lot of things but i also like again, blame capitalism for this. It's like this idea that- like, There's so many things we can
0: blame on capitalism. Yeah, capitalism.
1: There's, you know, this idea that like, you will, you'll, you'll be more successful once you get this external thing. You'll feel prettier once you get this. You'll feel more whole once you get this thing outside of you. And so for me, masturbation was very much that thing that taught me about what I have within myself on my own, that I don't have to wait for other people to, to give or to feel a sense of validation. So I have learned- so much from it and i feel very proud to say that my most like pleasurable experiences have been with myself um that my most important sexual relationship is the one that i have to myself and i take it really seriously and so even though i am in a long-term partnership we both have our own so like we have masturbation time we have time that we share masturbation time together and it's not something that i ever want to like work out of my life um there's so much that I'm learning with my body about the way my body's changing about things that feel pleasurable to me at one moment and don't the next moment. And it's, I don't know. The best way for me to stay connected to like what's happening to my body internally is those moments when I am like setting up space for me to masturbate to practice solo sex. And then when I'm in those moments, like feeling super connected to myself. And so it's, I, I feel like people, especially right now, I feel like people are like, Oh, I'm so bored with masturbation. And this is like, not, this is not, like, it. And I totally get wanting to feel the weight of another body press up against yours. And also, I'm like, maybe you should explore your masturbation more because
0: it can be really, really fucking amazing. And how do, how do you think we convince folks that it's okay to be your best sexual partner? I feel like I have a lot of folks come into my office who maybe have a good sexual relationship with themselves, but maybe they they don't have the same kind of orgasm or experience with a partner, which can can be understandable, you know, if you know yourself the best, and while maybe helping them be able to express what they like and need to this partner, like, I like what you're saying that it's totally okay to be like the best you've had. And like, how do we give permission to that? I think having these conversations,
1: I mean, there's so many people who DM us, and they're just like, I see you're talking about solo sex and I am able to orgasm when I masturbate, but I can't orgasm from my partner. Is something wrong with me? And so I think there's so many people who don't know, especially people who have a clitoris, who are not taught Mm -hmm. about the clitoris, who are taught
0: that penetration is the way that you're supposed to orgasm. Yeah, you mean you're not gonna orgasm from forty minutes of just penis and vagina penetration? (laughs) What do
1: you mean? You know, And, and that people who the things that a lot of us enjoy have been told it's foreplay, so it's not really important. It's just, it's not like a essential part of sex. It's just like the shit you do to get to the main event, which is the penetration. I think just having those conversations and, normalizing like actually a lot of people with the with the clitoris need clitoral stimulation or orgasm that it's okay and it's pretty normal that you know your body best and that you know how to navigate your body best more than somebody else because you're feeling it while you're doing it they can't feel what what you're feeling and then also taking those communication skills about how do you have those conversations because it can feel really hard to tell somebody who you who you like care about want to keep fucking that like they're not really you know listening to your body especially when you're when you're dealing with people who have gotten so many messages about what sex is supposed to look like and how it's supposed to feel and they're not uh, they're not um they're not um, open to the idea that like sex can be differently different or that you can have sex without penetration or that you could have um that foreplay is not just foreplay that it could just be play um i think having more of those conversations and teaching those skills and and giving people room to practice. Like, how do I say this to somebody is really helpful.
0: I guess my last question for, for both of you is what changes are embodied work. Have you really seen create change for people in their lives due to creating like a ritual self-love practice and really like slowing down and doing that like in the way people carry themselves, what kind of changes have you seen?
2: I'm just gonna say that, <laughs> um, because I have been around Delicia so much this last couple of years that Delicia has been the biggest change that I've seen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but but that's, that's good. You're but, like modeling it for the company, so right, you're, the, you're the prototype. Right, I'm like,
2: besides my clients and Delicia, those are the most consistent people in my lives right now. Um, so. Um, But no, (laughs) but seriously, but also um, people reach out to us all the time and say that, oh my God, you know, I just bought a sex toy for the first time after this workshop, Um, or I'm looking forward to buying this workbook and I finished the workbook and this is how it was for me. Or when is the next one? And we just, I use your worksheets all the time with my clients or whatever the case is. So I think it's those, those small you know, affirmations and reminders, but even in the conversations in our, um, on our social media and on Instagram and Twitter, like the proof is in the pudding, right? So people are always really engaged and asking questions and being very vulnerable and open with their own suggestions and advice, or even saying like, oh, this doesn't work for me, but still appreciate that you all are posting about it because someone needs to be having this conversation as visibly um, as we are. And so I think some of those things are like the reminders that people are out here and they're ready and it's challenging this message that, you know, there's other important issues going on, but we have to continue reminding ourselves that we can do Them both you don't have to pick you do not have to pick between like one type of liberation or empowerment over the other right it can definitely be a part of a balancing act and sometimes maybe because of situations like this you have to be more attentive to another aspect of your life but it doesn't mean that it has to be completely show
1: the reason I love sex ed work is because the skills that we're teaching in sex ed are so applicable to like aspects of our life outside of sexual romantic relationships so talking to people about consent communication skills around boundary around body agency around learning how to identify what they need ask for what they need um those those things translate like in their sex life and I definitely have had people be like I'm having like like some people who are like hey my partner and I went sat down and did all your worksheets and we're having like the best sex ever we learned so much about each other we learned so much about ourselves and then getting people who are like This has helped me to have conversations around boundaries in my family, like, you know, and so seeing things that happen outside of just sexual romantic relationships. But I really love the moments when people share around how it has changed their relationship to their partner. Because for me, I feel like if it is so, if it is hard to practice talking openly and honestly and boundaries and all this stuff with somebody who you're intimately connected with. Um, I can just imagine how much harder it is for you to, to practice that with your boss or mm. like somebody in a position of power um, or friends. And so seeing, hearing those stories of people being like, this solo sex guy, someone just posted on our Instagram that it, it helped them to cancel a dick appointment and help them to, <laughs> to not text their ex or their baby daddy. Like those moments are great. And then when people are like, this has really helped me to feel like I'm having some of the best sex of my life, that I really feel like I've let go of a lot of sexual shame and that I feel really proud, or that I'm talking to my other friends about masturbation and I'm helping them. So many people end up becoming like the, their local sex educator after coming to our workshop. Yeah. <laughs> I am now like, I, I mean, like, I. Yeah. They're spreading the word, yeah. Spreading the gospel. <laughs>
0: oh my mom would be so proud (laughs) (laughs) see it's not that far off from religion right
1: (laughs) you know and so those those moments are always just it's just amazing to hear um and about how many people are really feeling like a connection to themselves and to their bodies especially for people who have experienced um trauma whether it's sexual trauma racialized trauma gender trauma like all of these things like to feel connected to their body and to feel like they can ask for the kind of experiences and relationships that they want and deserve that feels super it it makes it feels really good I mean so much of this work feels pleasurable but those moments feel particularly sweet
0: Well, I want people to be able to, to pay you and hire you and do and do all of the good things. So I don't want to give away any of the like tidbits that you would have in your workshops. But for folks who maybe haven't developed like a self pleasure ritual practice for themselves, um, and are feeling nervous about getting started, do you have any any tips for like maybe first, first thing they can think or do or how to even just get into your body? Yes.
2: The first thing would be, oh, there's so many firsts. Okay. Wait, <laughs> I guess it depends on the person. And- yeah. It depends on the person. I'll say if, if you're a person where the, where we're having this, so you're listening to this and you got to that part, this point in the podcast and you think maybe something shameful comes up or maybe something that tells you, like you're kind of slapping your hand. Like, you know how like, when kids sometimes are playing with themselves, the parents slap them on their hand. So if you feel like you're kind of doing that the to worst. yourself, maybe, maybe the first step for you would be to just stop and, and think about that. Like, when did I feel like this first? Like, okay, I just slapped myself on my hand. Who did that to me? Who slapped me on my hand when I thought about pleasure? Or if I reached out to touch a certain fabric in a store and someone slapped my hand? Or if I did have my hands in my pants and someone slapped me on hand? Like, think about that. When did that come up for you? What was the message that you were told overtly or explicitly or whatever the case is? Um, And then if you are a person, you're like, okay, I can definitely get down with this. Um, Sounds good. Then maybe your first step could be, um, say, if you're sitting, maybe paying attention to the way that you are sitting and how that feels pleasurable to you if it's a certain weight, if there's something that's on you, like covering your legs like a blanket or something, um, just paying attention to the pleasurable feelings coming up for you in the way that you are in your body right now. And then if you are doing something else is maybe not sitting, maybe you're eating, then just savor those the, the taste of the food. And just kind of going back to the comments we were saying earlier about just tuning in with the senses. So whatever it is that you may be doing, sitting, eating, Some people listen to the shower while they listen to podcasts, right? I mean, some people are taking a shower when they're listening to podcasts. So like paying attention to like the temperature of the water, the way that the water is like hitting on you. So I think if you're in those two different spaces where you're like, okay, I'm all about this, this, this thing. Let me play with that for a little bit. And if you're kind of a little hesitant, maybe kind of challenge or just be inquisitive about why that is for you.
0: Love it. Anything you would add, Delisha?
1: Yeah. So one of my favorite quotes from Audie Lord is that we have been taught to fear the yes within us, and so I think one of the biggest barriers that I hear from people is that I don't have the time to masturbate. Like I don't have the time to set up solo sex the way you're talking about it.
0: Well, um, you've got time now.
1: <laughs> well, some of us do. I don't know. Like, if you have five kids at the house, I- <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> conversations around um boundaries is really important with the people you're living with and like trying to carve out that space for yourself but i i think learning to say yes to ourselves and to carve out space for ourselves and so even if it's not i'm able to carve out an hour or 30 minutes or 15 minutes for me to masturbate what are you able to carve out um five minutes for to say yes to today so maybe it's like you know what i like want to read I want to read a thing that I enjoy. I want to read erotica. I want to read this like article I've been, I have had pinned on my phone for three months now and like learning to say yes to yourself and making that a practice of carving out space for ourselves, which I think sets us up to like carve out more and more space for ourselves. And you, it's interesting the things that you can find that you make time for and the things that you tell yourself you don't have time for. And I think that practice of like learning to say yes more, especially in a world that's full of no's, say yes to yourself. Um, Learning to do that practice is really important and really helpful. And then I think another thing that really h- stops or blocks people is like getting out of this mindset that the goal of, of solo sex is to orgasm and that there's a right or wrong way to explore your body. Like there's like it, the goal can just be to explore a new category or porn that you've always wanted to talk about or think about or like wanted to learn about. It could be like trying on a new sex toy. It could be giving yourself a bubble bath and like trying shower head and you know all these different things i think there's so much pressure that we put on ourselves to experience pleasure and to feel like we're doing it right and it's okay to just say like i'm just gonna carve out 10 minutes for myself to explore my body like i don't even know if my nipples feel like feel anything like i'm just gonna put this toy on my nipple i'm just gonna play with my nipples i'm just gonna do this and like allowing yourself to feel sensations and not putting this pressure around this end goal or like i'm not doing it right so many people are like i don't feel like i'm doing it right There's no right or wrong way to explore your body. It's around you learning. Um, And so I think letting go of those expectations can be really helpful in just like getting started.
0: Yeah. So the the quote unquote wrong way would be to have expectations of the right way. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Thank you both so much for joining me. How can people follow what you're doing with Afrosexology? How can they hire you during this time of distancing? You know, how can folks support what you're doing? We are
1: Afrosexology everywhere because no one else had the name, So it's ours. And so (laughs) that's our website. It's our email, Afrosexology at Gmail. Our social media handles for Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter are all Afrosexology. The best way to contact us is through our website or through our email. And then we also have another project that we put out February this year called the Intercourse Project. And so you can either go to intercourseproject.com or... You can go find it on our website, and that's a video series that we created with talking to Black people about their sexual journey, and so that's a fun thing to do. On our website, we have an entire workbook, and we on Solo Sex we have lots of products if you want to spend money that way. We also um, do workshops for a lot of different groups, and so that is another way that you can book us, and we are learning how to do workshops online, and so it's, it's going great.
0: And if you want to follow what I'm doing at Sluts and Scholars, again, I'm on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars, and you can send uh, your questions or thoughts to slutsandscholars at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Thank you.